Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Mimi Prunella Hernandez, an herbalist with a Master of Science in Herbal Medicine. She is a registered herbalist with the American Herbalist Guild and has served as its executive director for 10 years. Mimi's life's work is learning about and sharing the information about herbs and their healing properties. And she's done an amazing work in writing a book, Herbal, 100 Herbs from the World's Healing Traditions. The artwork accompanying the important information is truly beautiful. This book is really helpful and can make a great gift. So let's meet Mimi to learn more. Good morning, Mimi Prunella Hernandez. It's wonderful to have you join us this morning. Good morning. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I am just very excited to have this opportunity uh, for a couple of reasons. One, you just have this wonderful new book that you've had published uh, in a connection with National Geographic, Herbal, 100 Herbs from the World's Healing Traditions, but also just your immersion in this whole field and And my heart aspires to that, and I feel, you know, there are so many more of us wanting to look toward uh, natural remedies and and just the beauty of herbs in our life. So so I'm very excited for us to be able to to dive into this book and learn from you. Oh, super. Yes, it's just such a wonderful, like, privilege, and it's such a charming lifestyle to be able to you know, work with herbs and uh, get to know herbs personally and and through the garden and through everywhere I walk, you know, I I see plants that I know and and there's no better feeling. It's just such a wonderful way to to live life. (laughs) And it's, you know, that is so great. You're using the term lifestyle that uh, getting a sense of you through this book, it feels like your lifestyle, but you're saying that this is something that you live and, and you are, I think, offering that as something we can do. And it just feels so beautiful and gentle. Well, it really is. And, um, you know, right away in chapter one of the book, uh, we uh, start with, uh, you know, sensing the herbs and how the herbs feel on the body, you know, how they taste and, and how they smell and the aromas they carry and the sounds they make and, and the colors and, and, you know, they really engage our senses. And so part of my uh, focus on the book was to open up with that, to open up with that sensation of, of, you know, whether it's this cooling, slippery herb like marshmallow root or it's this really spicy, bold herb like cayenne or this light, aromatic like calamus. And, and so really um, getting to see plants from this lens of uh, their different energetics and different feelings that, that plants evoke, including uh, the rose that, you know, evokes love and this like beautiful sensual experience. Uh, and so that's where we start with um, really just opening our eyes to plants around us and getting to know some of their characteristics because ultimately um, this is how herbalists see herbs and this is how we see people around us. And what we do is we're matchmakers for, um, you know, these qualities in herbs and qualities in humans and uh, we kind of put those together so it's a, a 
I'm going to use the word concoction, a putting together of those herbs that suit whatever is uh, the energy or what is going on with the person or with ourselves in that way. Is that right? Um, you're exactly right. Uh, you know, if, if someone is feeling very overstimulated, then we give them a very soothing herb, right? If someone's feeling very inflamed and hot, we give them a cooling herb. If someone's feeling cold and stagnant, we give them a warming herb. And many of the world's healing traditions have that model to work with. Um, and that's exactly how they see a person and they see a person's health issues. And then they see that in um, not only the plants that are healing, but also in the foods um, and the remedies that can can be suitable for those uh, situations. And the roots of this, we, we tend to say that it's Eastern medicine quite often, but in a way that's not true because if we look at North America and the indigenous people here, South America, and, and you have family roots in Colombia, so that the herbs and the remedies were used there. So really, it, it isn't just Eastern, it is global. Oh, it truly is global. I think, you know, one thing to remember is that no matter where we are from, all of our ancestors, every person's ancestors have roots in healing and, and herbal medicine. Uh, and that's, you know, worldwide. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm sure that some cultures and some people might feel more disconnected from, from their past and, and their ancestry than others. Um, and but there's so many traditions still alive today all over the world, um, and many of them are in peril. So you know, one of the important things here is to give voice not just to the big three. What we call the big three is is Ayurvedic medicine and Chinese medicine and Western medicine, but also give voice to uh, you know Siberian medicine and South American medicine and African medicine and, uh, you know, Gula Geechee medicine and, and just, you know, Native American and just, just open our eyes to, um, you know, the big woven tapestry of healing traditions around the world. And there's actually a term for that, isn't it? And your mentor was the one to coin it and to really make it a study. Well, um, you might be talking about uh, Wade Davis, who uh, is a Ph.D. ethnobotanist and professor of anthropology. And one of the terms that he coined in uh, one of his books is the ethnosphere. Um, and I really love it because according to his you know, research and, and his writing, he talks about the ethnosphere as being very threatened, um, as much as the biosphere. We talk about the biosphere, the loss of species and the extinction of plants and animals, but the ethnosphere is the loss of languages and the loss of cultural wisdoms and, and the loss of ecological knowledge. And these losses are happening at a very quick pace, you know, with modernization, westernization. So we need to find some balance there and... You know, I think it's just important to tell these stories of healing and to talk to your elders and listen to their stories of healing and, and nature interactions and, you know, pass those along and, and be keepers of wisdom because otherwise these precious traditions are in peril. Exactly. And I 
feel that that was such an important term to become aware of here because it just really is so woven into, well, we'll call it the tapestry of what you share with all the herbs that we have in this wonderful volume. And to realize, as you say, that they are endangered and we need to do our part to cultivate and respect them and nurture them and uh, by turn use them as well. Right. I mean, there is a lot of attention in the book to some of these ethical challenges that herbalists face and consumers of herbs that, you know, it's important to know where our herbs come from and to honor the wisdom traditions that kind of founded these, you know, this knowledge, but also in that same breath to um, know that they're ecologically supplied. Um, you know, the, the global supply chain, especially now, is a huge ordeal. There's like billions of dollars um, in herbal trade around the world uh, these days. And, you know, are they being pilfered from the woods? in their natural states? Are they harming the habitats that they come from? Uh, Like in China, you know, we talk about herbs that are affecting panda habitat, or are we putting them in danger by over-harvesting? And then on the other hand, there's a lot of hope also. There's uh, farms and collectives who have gathered to grow herbs and cultivate them, like in Alaska, that's growing rhodiola. Um, You know, rhodiola is is a a really wonderful herb for energy and stamina, but the more we pick it, the more we dig it up from the wild, the less we're going to have left for future generations. So it's so wonderful how these various collectives have come together to grow rhodiola in these climates that are similar to natural climates. And, you know, we even see here in America, like in West Virginia, uh, you know, this real big effort to grow wild simulated ginseng in the woods, in the mountains of Appalachia. To be able to have ginseng as a marketable supplement and something that helps local communities thrive, but do it in a way that's sustainable. And we're constantly rebuilding the soil, constantly growing more roots for the global market in a way that's not pulling from the wild. And that is heartening that we are doing that in part because, again, it's creating um, an economy in, in a good sense for the people to have a work to do that is really healing and beneficial to people and hopefully not something that is uh, going to take away from elsewhere in the world, both in terms of causing suffering to other people, but taking away that resource from them so they are left without. Absolutely. Yes, I'm glad, I'm glad you're seeing that takeaway message because I tried to weave that throughout and one of my favorite stories there is about Ruibos tea, uh, which comes from the Cape of South Africa. And it's just this wonderful, and you've probably tasted it, this like wonderful copper orange color tea. Um, it has like a kind of warm and spicy feel to it and just nourishing tea. But in South Africa, it's a staple. Um, everyone drinks it. I mean, even babies and nursing mothers and and because it's just such a panacea for health. And it's definitely an herb that was brought forth by indigenous populations of that area. 
And so then it gets really tricky when you have corporations moving in to start selling and producing that herb in your own backyard, an herb that, you know, you've, you have many generations of interaction with. And it's just a really great example because in South Africa, they actually reached a pact amongst local communities and those small-scale growers and harvesters with the industry to do profit sharing, to do, uh, you know, shared labor, to, you know, really offset the environmental impact locally. So it's an example of, uh, you know, the industry working with local populations. And like I said, the wisdom keepers that originated with the medicine. And because of that, we can walk into any coffee shop and get a cup of Ruibos tea and uh, know that it's, um, you know, coming from this uh, fair uh, supply. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So that, you know, there's just this harmony worldwide rather than, again, you know, extracting something from someone and leaving them suffering. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yes, I thought that that was beautiful that with the babies drinking it as well and mothers thinking that it was as healthy as breast milk for babies, for infants. So I think it's, uh, <laughs> we should be definitely drinking it, but, you know, sustainably. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> so that is really wonderful to think of it uh, being done that way. Now, rooibos is not grown elsewhere in the world. Is Does it need that particular area of South Africa to grow? It must. I mean, it's like such a rare environment there, and it is endemic to specifically that region. Okay. And so we don't think about that when we pick up our box of Rubo's tea from the grocery store shelf, but it's all from that one region. It's very similar to Damiana, which is another um, kind of endemic herb that's specific to Southwest and like the West Coast of Mexico. Um, you know, it's just got this very narrow range. Um, And then maca, that's very just endemic to the mountains, the Andes Mountains in Peru. So they're like very specific to their environments. And so, you know, and I can just keep naming handfuls. We have saw palmetto in Florida, um, you know, that's just from there. And so, you know, these regions, they really safeguard their populations of herbs. Like it's, it's a commodity, right, on the state level, on the national level, on the cultural level for the locals that live there. And so there's a lot of safeguards locally, including permits to harvest and, uh, you know, you have reports that you have to file and, and arrangements and, and relationships with growers and what have you. So, um, you know, there's a lot that goes into the production and the harvest and the wild crafting of, of herbs, especially with such a specific habitat niche um, and many of these which feed entire communities of animals, like the salt palmetto of Florida feeds the bears and feeds a lot of mammals and provides habitat for um, indigenous snakes and reptiles and, and all kinds of critters in there, and not to mention dozens of pollinators. So, um, you know, it's very important habitats um, to, to protect and to keep these herbs available for humans to use and also for animals to survive on. And what about for us as humans in terms of the healing properties of saw Mm -hmm. palmetto? How do we use it? For what purpose? 
Oh, yeah. Well, salt palmetto, you know, I would say the majority of salt palmetto is exported to Europe for a European phytotherapy because they do a lot of science-based uh, herbal medicine in conventional medical settings there. And salt palmetto primarily, um, it's one of the most used herb supplements in the world. And uh, it's used for, um, for prostate issues and for urinary tract issues primarily. And so it's one of those supplements that even, you know, your doctor might recommend because uh, there's so much research around it. But it's interesting because, you know, we get our supplements often in a capsule um, that, you know, it's, it's just so interesting to look at the actual plant, you know, because that salt palmetto, it's, it's like a, a, this bristly kind of low-growing palm-like plant that can grow to be a thousand years old. And it makes these like olive-shaped fruits, and that's that's where the medicine is. Um, and it has a very rancid, awful flavor. I think <laughs> I think I'm sure some people who are local might be more inclined to. to I mean, people have eaten it and relied on it for food, but ooh, um, sometimes you're grateful for those capsules. <laughs> 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 and to think, though, that, you know, of the worldwide demand and that it is just growing in Florida is just amazing that there can be that supply. It's huge. And, you know, with salt palmetto, we're just really lucky that it is the fruit. You know, if it was the root, then we'd really be concerned, right? Right. Um, uh, but, of course, Florida's a very commercial state. Um, you know, there's still habitat to protect, and, you know, the more, like, concrete we get around the world, the less room we have for our herbs and medicine. But the great thing is that, you know, they do take a stand on uh, protection of, of this commodity and, and this natural resource. So that's good to see that people are very interested in that and on the regulation level and on the cultural level. Turmeric is another, almost like a buzzword. We hear so much more about it and there's a lot of discussion around communities in California where they're using it. But of course, it's used in curries and it, it really is a delightful taste. And it's also very healing for us, isn't it? Oh, turmeric is a heavy hitter for so many things. In fact, turmeric is in my chapter, it's in the last chapter of my book in global herbalism. Um, and the chapter on global herbalism really takes a close look at the most traveled herbs in the world and the most famous herbs in the world. And turmeric is way up there with any nutritionist and any herbalist and, and doctors and researchers. You know, we've all probably recognized turmeric from, like, curry and some of, you know, our favorite Indian dishes. And and a lot of people now grow turmeric, like, even in your garden here. Like, I, I'm in North Carolina, and I can grow turmeric over the summer if I wanted to, especially if I had a greenhouse. But, you know, it's the medicine of turmeric is so profound because it's such an amazing anti-inflammatory. And anti-inflammatory on a real cellular level where, you know, cancer prevention uh, helps address existing tumors. It can help, like, with asthma. Uh, it helps clear up hay fever, eczema. I mean, just all this, you know, irritable bowel syndrome and rheumatoid arthritis. Like, 
any chronic condition, um, most people can benefit from turmeric in their lives. And it's also just the knowledge about turmeric has come so far, even throughout my career and in my lifetime. You know, I'm, I'm not sure when, when it was, but it had to be like a few years back, right, where science really started understanding that turmeric is absorbed so much better, exponentially better by the body if we combine it with black pepper. And so this is all demonstrated scientifically in research. And to me, it's just stunning how traditionally, I mean, who doesn't mix turmeric with black pepper when they're cooking? It's, it's like such an old tradition. I mean, that's how it's used, right? That's how it's always been. And it's just wondrous to me how like science keeps validating traditional preparations over and over. And so... You know, it used to be that to get a hefty dose of turmeric, you had to eat like a big spoonful and, and stir it into your yogurt or applesauce or something. But now mix it with black pepper and boom, you know, you've got this really potent dose of anti-inflammatory turmeric. Um, and of course, there's supplements out there. And we look for supplements now that actually have the black pepper in them, you know, just to get that extra absorption. But yes, it's just so... Such a vibrant medicine and natural dye and, uh, you know, they use it in art and coloring fabrics and robes and textiles. And it's just like such a long story with turmeric in India and now just around the world. And so, Mimi, if we buy this jar of turmeric and black pepper at the market and use it in Uh our cooking, is that going to have the healing properties just as you've been sharing with us? That's a really great question. And, um, you know, there's a couple things about turmeric. I mentioned the black pepper, but the other thing is a fat or oil um, because it really helps carry herbs into our body or at least certain herbs. And turmeric is one of those. So, yes, if you blend turmeric and black pepper, and it doesn't even have to be equal portions. We're talking about a spoonful of turmeric and, like, a, you know, a few pinches of black pepper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then maybe in a little sesame oil or butter or ghee. You know, one of my favorite little remedies is stirring turmeric and a pinch of black pepper in your nut butter, like your favorite nut butter. And then just having that as a snack, Um, you know, just having a jar of of nut butter that you've already stirred your turmeric and pepper into. And then keeping that for a snack for your celery sticks or rolling it into balls and putting it in the fridge and having one a day. Yes, these are actual remedies that, that we use as herbalists. Isn't that exciting? It's a treat, and we're also getting healthier as we ingest that. Absolutely. I love it. And, (laughs) you know, we're talking about it as, oh, here's something that's new, but it's not. It has this ancient tradition, and part of that ancient tradition goes back to the wise woman tradition, and uh, which you, of course, connect yourself with in terms of your family lineage, and it has its place in history, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, there's not really like an organized wise woman tradition. The wise woman tradition is just definitely feminine based, but it does encompass mothers, fathers, children, families, anyone really on the gender spectrum. And, you know, the concept is simple. It's that the remedies are safe. They're in our backyard. We use the weeds around us. 
we cook in our kitchen. We don't do a lot of capsules and tinctures. You know, the wise woman tradition really means that you're eating weeds and you know, making remedies in your kitchen from scratch. That's the wise woman tradition in a nutshell. And, you know, I think every culture around the world has that tradition ingrained in it, you know, where the wise woman, the mother figure, stirs the pot, if you will, and makes the remedies and makes poultices and goes out with a basket and harvests weeds for food and for cooking and medicine. And the basis is that we look at what's growing right here in our backyard. So, you know, that's going to look different for everyone according to where you live and what your neighborhood is like and what grows around you. So it's a very big emphasis on bioregionalism or, um, you know, backyard herbalism, just local, just relying on on your local abundance and local weeds, invasive plants and, and things like this. And it's true in your own life. You took yourself, you took your family uh, to the foothills of North Carolina, and you're nurturing the natural plant life there. Oh, it's true. Yes, I live in the foothills of North Carolina, and we have uh, we live on a property that we call the Ponderland, uh, or um, and it is a native plant sanctuary as um, certified by United Plant Savers, uh, and. Not only do we tend to, we have so many native plants here in the foothills. Um, you know, I've, I've, there's over 120 species that I've cataloged in just three years um, that we uh, protect. And we go to great lengths to, um, you know, help uh, monitor and, and tend to, like, the invasive plants and try to pull those out and and uh, But we also have gardens and, and herb gardens and vegetable gardens. Um, and that really is like my chosen, like it comes back to what we talked about earlier, my chosen lifestyle. Like I just love the kitchen and I have all these baskets of herbs around me at any given time. My dehydrator is always running. Uh, I've always got something on the stove. It's, it's just uh, you know, I have a busy life, but that's what grounds me the most is just tending to plants and, and, and bringing them in the house and doing, you know, doing these these remedies. And, and also just the fun stuff with herbs, too, right? Like eating and tasting and making syrups and colorful vinegars and, and these luscious lotions and body butters. And, and so it's not all just about herbal medicine. It's about this, like, this enthusiasm, this beauty of, of having my hands on, on plants and, and bringing them in and see what am I going to do? You know, I, I just pulled in a big basket of, of hibiscus uh, this week and, oh, I've made so much. I've, I've candied hibiscus. I made syrup of hibiscus, infused vinegar, you know, quinoa pilaf with hibiscus. Like, this is, the, the sky's the limit. I was just making all kinds of these hibiscus remedies and and foods, and it's just fun, and it's tasty, and it gets the whole family involved. And then this, the side product or the life product is good health. Right, or at least, you know, good living. And, uh, yeah, feeling optimal, like getting nutrients and, uh, you know, knowing. I think the most empowering thing is knowing that if I have, like, a little cold or, or if I have a, a rash or 
or if, you know, my kids have, um, you know, a headache or an ailment that we feel empowered to, you know, take some first steps here, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the household uh, and, uh, you know, don't panic. We don't have to run to WebMD or, you know, <laughs> like, like we, it's, it's just so empowering to be able to tend to those ailments, the day-to-day maladies um, as they arise and, um, and, you know, also like kind of teach the children that, you know, that's, that's there, that that's in, in, within their empowerment also to, to learn and, and to live life that way. And then just to have that abundance of nature around you and like really appreciate, you know, all that life can offer in the green world, if you will. Oh, yes. So teaching and leading into the future in that way so they embrace that in the same kind of way going forward. Well, and we can learn so much, too. I so appreciate all you've shared with us this morning, Mimi, and that this book, Herbal, 100 Herbs from the World's Healing Traditions, is now available at our favorite book sources. And to find out more about you, what would you suggest? On the socials? Oh, yeah, sure. Mimi Prunella Hernandez on Instagram. Mimi Prunella Herbal on Facebook is my author page. Um, My website is MimiPrunellaHernandez.com. So, yeah, check me out. I'm like new to Instagram, but I'm really into it. I'm starting to make little videos and share some of the fun stuff from the garden. So, yeah, I really look forward to engaging with everyone. And this book is just such a, a beautiful, you know, you have it in your hands. It's just so artistically and aesthetically so beautiful. It would make such a wonderful gift for a lot of people. So that's something to consider as the end of the year approaches. I just like having it. Like, I mean, I've taken pictures of it and put it on my coffee table. And so they did such a beautiful job with the art on this book. Oh, yes. The photography. Oh, it feels so real. Like I could just touch it. It must be there. It is so gorgeous. <laughs> and this is the season for gift giving that we think about that. So this not only is just a gift, it is a practical one that people will really want to hold on to and, and will use. It's true. A yes. hundred herbs. You know, you can learn about a hundred herbs in this book. It's a great reference guide. A hundred herbs and many of the world's traditions as well. It's a journey. I, I really believe it's, it's just such a beautiful journey. It feels like it for certain from your life, but, you know, just thinking of it in terms of what it can be for us, thinking of it as a journey is a great way to look at it, looking at it as our life. Well, again, I'm just so grateful we've had this time together. I'm so grateful to you for your passion and being able to put it all together in such a beautiful book for us. Thank you so greatly for who you are and what you mean to our world. Oh, thank you. I'm honored to be here, and thank you for having me today. That brings us to the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Mimi Prunella Hernandez in Sunday Morning Magazine with Luke Miner. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, 
find the podcast on our Warm 106.9 webpage. Just click on the Listen tab, then the Podcast tab, and then either of the show names, and then look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of gift-giving planning, sharing gifts that have long-lasting value. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.